Hey everyone, I'm Frida Matea. And I'm Margie Zarcone. And we are co-creators of Standby for Places. Before we get settled in the green room, we want to tell you about a new friend of ours, Anthony Jeannot, comedian extraordinaire, who hosts a podcast called Highbrow Dribble. And it is honestly one of the funniest and yet informative podcasts I have ever heard. Every week, Anthony introduces one of his stand-up comedian friends to an academic, scientist, politician, or some sort of expert. And during that hour, they talk about all different kinds of topics, like climate change, technology, cancel culture, and my personal favorite, dinosaurs. Think about the hilarious possibilities here. Have you ever had a conversation with a comedian? Throw an expert in the mix and it's bound to go off the rails in the best way possible. And there's something for absolutely everyone, no matter your interest. And you can learn a whole lot while laughing until your sides hurt. You can find Highbrow Drivel on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so head on over, give it a listen and a follow. And now, without further ado, here is In the Green Room with Margie Zarcone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Standby for Places. I... No, it's not an episode of Standby for Places. It's an ep... See? All right, I'll exit the Zoom call and let's then, forget the whole uh, yeah, let's forget the whole thing. We'll scrap it. <laughs> it's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the Standby for Places Green Room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I am your host, Margie Zarcone, and I am joined today by playwright Ed Precht, who has written the fantastic Court of Khan. Thank you for joining me, Ed. Thank you for uh, joining me, I guess. Uh, thank, thanks, both of us, for, for joining the other one. Uh, thank, thank you to both of us. <laughs> and thank you, listener, for uh, joining us today. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Ed, let's dig into this. Court of Khan takes place over the course of a year in 1291, explores the relationship between Kublai Khan and Marco Polo, a relationship and friendship that I did not know existed until I read this play and actually went and ordered the book that it's based on, right? Invisible Cities? It's like quasi based on it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I took a, an Italo Calvino class in college and uh, we read Invisible Cities. Uh, and I was like, what a great book. Um, I think I'll steal most of this. And uh, here we are today. So thank you, long dead Italo Calvino. Bless up, yeah. Bless up. <laughs> uh, continue to roll in your grave, thanks. Um, what interested you in that relationship? Because this is a bromance that I never knew existed. It's a weird relationship, yeah. They, they um, I deign to say that they were, were uh, like, friends for 16, 17 years, but they were very close. He, uh, Kubla Khan, um, trusted Marco Polo uh, more than a, a lot of people. And they were like, you know, side by side um, for, for that time. But it's, it's, it's also interesting because it's a, it's a big power dynamic. Uh, one of them runs a, a full empire and the other one is Italian. So uh, there's that sort of uh off off balanceness of it um that i think is prevalent in not just in that relationship but in a lot of relationships so i kind of wanted to explore just uh, that story 
sort of power play in in uh, friendships that that resonate to this day, I guess, uh, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. What what do you think drew them towards each other? Because on paper, they couldn't be more different. I'd imagine it started as a business transaction. It was a fully a business transaction. Uh, if by business you mean they locked that guy up uh, and would not let him leave. Um, so from from just in my in my readings uh, from you know Invisible Cities, which is uh, kind of a, a fictionalized um, account, and then in uh, Marco Polo's own journals, uh, he's he's just very good at uh, describing the the places that he's been to. He he really does paint a, a, a gorgeous picture. Um, and I think that's what drew him to, to Kublai Khan. Kublai Khan had a, had a whole, as I said before, empire to run. He, he was kind of in, in the center of this huge uh, walled ring um, from which he, he couldn't really leave. Um, and so to have someone uh, by your side to be able to say, hey, this is kind of what the world looks like. Mm -hmm. um, it's... <laughs> It's almost like uh, uh, Marco Polo was like an uh, an iPhone, and uh, Kublai Khan was like, "All right, I'm gonna Google search like what all what the whole world looks like um, right now." That's a terrible comparison, but uh, that's that's almost what it was. <laughs> that's actually a really good comparison. That makes complete sense. Great, great. Marco Polo is uh, is Siri. Um, that's that's our new. It's canon now, so great. I thought Marco Polo was being held by Kublai Khan. He he was uh, originally, yeah, yeah. But he would um, he would let him go and spread his and then have to come back, right? Yeah, and then have to come back, yeah. um, right? So okay. it was like it was a leash, but it was a a, a longer leash than uh, say his his father and his uncle. And reading this, it's clear that this is meant for the stage. What were the challenges that you faced in <laughs> adjusting this uh, for a podcast setting? Um, <laughs> yes, it is. It is uh, very much meant for the stage. Um, what's great about uh, uh, the director uh, Dunya is um, she's everything. very smart. Is is everything? She's she's fantastic, um, but she's very smart, and she I trust her uh, very much. And I hope she trusts me. Um, otherwise, she's been lying a lot. Uh, but she's very good with with um, the oral aspect of uh, physical actions, if that makes sense. So I didn't have to change as much as I thought I would have had to, because she um, she was like, "No, we can we can make people understand this uh, uh, orally through sound." Um, a lot of the sound effects, uh, you know, a lot of the eating, a lot of the um, uh, scuffling, I suppose, doors opening, closing. Uh, she has a lot of faith in, in no uh, sound, I, not noise. Um, and she has a lot of faith in the audience um, that they will understand what's going on. So I didn't have to change as much as I thought I would. Um, there were a lot of like moments, smaller moments, quieter moments that I had to, we had to trim. But um, other than that. Did you find it difficult? Does it feel like, I don't want to say cutting up your baby, but like. Chopping it up. 
just chop, ripping chopping it, it up. Is that is that difficult because it's something you've written, but it sounds like you did a really good job of realizing that this is just a different medium and to get the story to translate, there are certain things that need to happen. Yeah, that's that's always been, or that has been the case since the, uh, the pandemic and we've had to either do Zoom readings or um, uh, radio uh, plays is I, I write very visually. Um, I like quieter moments. I like um, people sitting in the space and just uh, doing these small things um, that, that tell a, a story through movement. And you can't quite do that uh, in, these, in these settings. So it's been, uh, it's been difficult. Uh, I wouldn't say difficult. It's been interesting um, having to figure out limitations um, in terms of movement. There's a lot that's lost, but then there are a lot of moments that are really enhanced and uh, can add a lot of dramatic tension. I know if I'm listening, listening to something, listening, listening to something, and my eyes are closed, it, there's that dramatic tension of, okay, what, when is the next shoe going to drop when yeah. where is this going to go because you're not getting any visual cues from facial expressions or what else is on the stage so you you're waiting with bated breath to hear right. what this right. character is going to say yeah i'm very interested to see how um silence plays out in in this um yeah definitely just like waiting with your headphones on for someone to speak, please. Uh, so I don't have to sit in the subway um, not listening to anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. It it's simplifies the way the story is told, I think. At, at least that's what I've experienced being in some of these. And I'm not gonna lie, sometimes reading the stage directions in a play is a real snooze fest for me, and I <laughs> want to get to the action, but the Stage directions are a full character with a point of view. Uh, I laughed a lot. It, it seemed like someone else was <laughs> sitting on the stage and cut. It, it almost felt like when you're watching a movie with someone and you've both seen the movie and there's that ongoing commentary, like the director's cut that no one asked for. And you're, right, right. you're commenting <laughs> on it. There, there's a real character in the stage directions. What was your reasoning with that? Was that just how you wanted to express it? Did you imagine people maybe in addition to listening to the play or seeing the play also reading it? Uh, this is a great question and I, 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 uh, I've heard that a lot so thank you and thank you to everyone um, who said that. I, I do really like putting my own voice in the stage directions uh, for everything I write, because you're, you're right, stage directions can be pretty darn boring, like, oh, he crosses to B, or she does this, she does that. Um, and so sometimes it can be difficult to convey tone, um, the tone of the scene, and I think that helps with, the, with being a little more casual in the stage directions. Like, oh, he flips over a chair like a fucking idiot. Uh, reads a little, uh, is a little more specific than like, oh, he does something 
angry. Um, and and to go off of that, yes, I, I think, uh, and maybe this is a self-esteem thing, just I expect people to read my work a little more than actually do my work. So uh, as long as they're having fun in some way, um, I think that's great. I want to make them have a good time in whatever medium this they're, they're seeing it. Do you imagine ever making the stage directions their own character? Because there is a true op opinion that you feel coming off of some of the lines. Uh, yes, yes. I, so I, I did write a musical with a friend and uh, the stage directions were, were the narrator um, in that. And uh, I did write a, another play a long time ago where yeah, basically the, the, the stage directions were read by someone narrating the piece. And I think, um, I do like that. And there is a, a very theatrical, uh, hyper-theatricality to, to that, that is not always good for, for every piece, but when it works, I think, uh, I, I would definitely like to keep doing that, I guess. I think it also lends the piece to being performed in a multitude of ways. Like I would imagine uh, a, stage, a stage reading would be a very dynamic experience. Right. right. Whereas it's usually just someone sitting in a chair off to the side, enter stage left, exit yeah. left, lights up yeah, on yeah, yeah. person, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And um, I guess, again, I have had more stage readings than, than productions. And so definitely to have someone, uh, certainly even someone that you respect uh, acting wise, someone talented to come in and read the stage directions, uh, then it becomes a, 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 you know, a night of fun. <laughs> some, some extra laughs uh, that are, that would have been lost in a normal production, yeah. Well, I am available for that. Great, great. <laughs> I will call you up all the way from Albany. Yeah. <laughs> so there has been a real trend in literature leaning into exploring the private lives of historical characters that we know a lot about in terms of their accomplishments, what they did, where they were born, you know, the, the numbers, but don't know them personally. Uh, I know I just finished a book, uh, Hamnet, that explored, I don't know if you've read it, uh, it's excellent. It is about Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, who died at age seven. All we know is that he existed, but nothing is said about him. It explores their relationship. Uh, also another book, Annie and the Wolves, which delves into the life of Annie Oakley and imagines why she was on a crusade to arm every woman in America, where would that have stemmed from? So there's been a real trend mm -hmm. into delving into the private lives and creating a fictional account. How, how did that work with this piece? How did you find their voices? I know that actors often have a difficult time with playing real people because mm. how do you how do you find the voice that you know so much about historically, but you, you don't know how realistically they would respond in situations? Right, right. On a social, well, I, I, personal level. 
Yeah. Well, I think that makes it, um, I feel like for, I don't want to speak for all writers, but I, I think that helps uh, a little to have a starting point of like, oh, okay, Shakespeare's son. I kind of know a little about that. Um, so I, I kind of have done a little bit of a character work already. Uh, and then I'll build from there. Uh, as opposed to the, the the actor having to start out in the mud, um, I guess. Um, and also what's great about uh, history is that we don't know much about it. We know that maybe Shakespeare smoked weed once, um, but nobody's really 100% certain. Um, and with that in mind, I, I decided to not <laughs> to not really lean into um, their voices. I tried to, um, in an effort to, to really make this more universal um, re-friendship, I wanted to make it sound more like just two dudes sitting there talking, uh, getting high, drinking, um, and, and having a good time. I kind of modeled them off of uh, myself and uh, one of my very closest friends um, in sort of a, a faux bro -y way in an, you know, an ironic kind of frat boy, not quite frat boy, uh, fake machismo talk um, that I think is very, I think is very funny. I think um, just listening to two idiots shoot the breeze um, and, you know, pretend to be men is, uh, is always a, a hoot. The language um, is very modern, and it's funny that you said uh, frat bro, that it is a little fratty when you read it. I imagine that you could, if I didn't know that this was Marco Polo, <laughs> like if I wasn't seeing their names, these are conversations I, I think that I would overhear today in a beer garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, not right, not right now, but you know. Well, ooh, that would be dangerous if it were, but uh, if that were true. But uh, yes, yeah, definitely. I wanted to um, to kind of make it sound like uh, like any two dude friends, um, and that sort of it's almost like the lighthouse, except um, fun, I guess, uh, where it's it's two men trying to dominate each other with their, to prove that they're the, the manlier one um, and who's gonna open up first and who's gonna be, who's gonna show their true feelings first and how's that gonna happen um, kind, of, kind of thing that I want to explore. That's an interesting comparison, the lighthouse, but fun, yeah. I wrote this long before the lighthouse, uh, so yeah, he took my idea, he took my idea. And the lighthouse definitely isn't fun. It's fun to watch. It doesn't look fun. Right, right. It's it's <laughs> it's fun afterwards, I guess. Uh, to yeah. be like, oh, I saw that. Um, yeah. But there's a real undercurrent of tenderness between the two of them, which I, I, at least I've noticed. Correct me if I'm wrong. And this is a generalization, but sometimes I think that we are uncomfortable with putting tenderness between two straight male characters and 
some straight males aren't comfortable with expressing that in real life and we're therefore we're uncomfortable with seeing it on stage and uh maybe some writers don't exactly know how to navigate it so i'm the ending is particularly a, a sweet moment where they i mean they have affection for each other that isn't romantic oh, yeah. <laughs> which i don't think you absolutely. see absolutely i think no no i i think some of the those are some of the most fascinating friendships really are two men um who are so comfortable with each other that they're just they're willing to talk about uh, uh anything they're willing to to open up to each other because th i think it's really refreshing to see um two two guys being people with each other and not being guys if that makes sense they don't they can drop their their walls um i think that's beautiful i think bromances uh are kind of beautiful when they're done well uh, it's it's refreshing to read too and it's it's important to read and to see because it demystifies that <laughs> makes <laughs> makes it normal because it is normal. Going back to, we were speaking about when actors have to play, not have to play, get to play. Uh, <laughs> Must play. <laughs> I don't wanna, no, when they, when they get to play a historical character or someone who is currently alive, there's always mm. a lot of pressure with that because you don't wanna get it wrong. Right. But with this, you've created the free, there's no way you could get this wrong because you've painted a very modern picture of these two people, but also they aren't alive, so we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's true. I guess uh, this is not the sequel to uh, to Daniel Day-Lewis in, in Lincoln. I guess this is more of a... a way too long SNL sketch where uh, you don't have to worry about playing Obama right because he's coming in on a skateboard, you know? Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I definitely did uh, lean into that to, and, and there, are, there are modern, there are other like modern aspects uh, to this play as well. Cause I, I liked, I like things living in the, in the in-between. Um, like the way that they they smoke opiates, but it's it's like they're smoking weed. I think that's that's silly, or that there's um, there's just little little tiny little uh, things where it's like, oh, that's anachronistic. Um, but I'm buying it because they're already talking. They're they're saying like, dude and bro and stuff. Um, so I like living in that in that non-linear, I guess, uh, uh, time. It reminded me a little bit of the favorite. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. With the um, with the dance sequences that right didn't make sense for the time period, but the characters that were created and the relationships between them made it make sense. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think also it's a refreshing play in a multitude of ways. But what really sticks out is. I know, and this is what makes 
things like drug history is so funny. Mm. We, when someone has died over a hundred years ago, you imagine every situation being serious, a crisis, a mess, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah. when you get to delve into history and like a personal social way or even like kind of a petty way, like, oh, did they mm -hmm. ever just like get irritated with each other? Like right. in the middle ages, wasn't, the, I mean, yeah, everything was horrendous, but I I'm sure that there was tension between two cooks who like were always kind of talking about the other one. Like, I'm sure that that was still <laughs> going on. I'd even like to though, see that. You know, like I'd like and, to see that medieval ratatouille. Yeah, that would be great. Like those relations, it it makes them seem like people and less mythologized. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I uh, you're right because we do put history up on a pedestal, but we are living in history, and we're kind of gross toilet people. So everyone back then probably farted in an important meeting and was real embarrassed about it. Uh, people slipped on banana peels. Uh, in the courts of, of uh, certain kings, there was a kind of court jester called a, uh, a farter, and his thing was he would fart, and that was the joke. So no one's ever been highbrow. No one has ever once uh, been this, you know, uh, 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 perfect um, uh, figure. Uh, we've all just been insects crawling around in the dirt, laughing at fart jokes, I guess. Uh, so it's, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's good to put that into this play. Well, I think it's because, you know, we read a history book, you only read the the bullet points of the right the setting the historical context what was going on at the time but and it's only the important things it's yeah no one's gonna write <laughs> well i wish this happened but no right. one is going to write in a textbook a full two pages about you know the the tension between uh this dry cleaner that wasn't that great but you felt bad and you kept going because you didn't want to hurt their feelings or something right. like there's no <laughs> or like someone always mispronouncing your name but it's gone on too long and now you feel mm. like you can't say anything but then they're like why'd you lie to me and you know right, like, right. there's none of you... none of that yeah no... that was going <laughs> on about the awkward silences in like un meetings you're right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly Exactly. Yeah, I want, I want to see a thick book about all the just weird moments in history of um, people messing up and people just, we've said this several times uh, today, just being people, I guess. Because not everything is dramatic all the time. There are still. How, how dramatic has your week been? Has it been pretty... Uh, are you gonna write about this <laughs> in your memoirs? <laughs> yeah, my, um, I mean, I can make anything into a three-act play. Oh, <laughs> like, <Good> for you. <laughs> in terms of, no, it's not, it's not a talent. It, it's like, <laughs> my brother said the other day, like, 
can anything happen in this house without immediate commentary from from everyone? Like, can't something just happen? And we were like, well, it's our family crest. Nothing slides. Slides. Nothing slides. <laughs> That's good. That's great. Get that in Latin um, and then tattoo it uh, somewhere in your body. It's great. <laughs> Ed, this has been a pleasure. It really has. This has been great. The highlight of my highlight of my week. So I'm so glad. Me too. I was really looking forward to this. <laughs> Ed, thank you for joining me. This has been insightful and funny and wonderful and a great use of a Thursday afternoon for me. Absolutely. For Same those here. of you listening at home, if you haven't already listened to Court of Con by Ed, please check it out because you will not be disappointed. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you.